0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Three, and one who comes in order to shatter, but also fulfill our expectations. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, at the beginning of our getting together, I asked you to kind of think about what your expectations were, and I asked you to kind of get into a conversation with God around those expectations, kind of ask God, (coughs) oh, excuse me ask God, what are your expectations for me? And then kind of picture God asking you, well, what are your expectations of me? Because we all have expectations, right? We all have kind of this sense of like, okay, we're going into whatever it is, and we have certain expectations of what that is going to be like. Whether that's a lease that we're signing and we expect certain things out of our landlord or if that is a job that we expect certain things to happen or if that's our major and we expect to get a certain job out of it (coughs) or if you come to church and you expect the pastor not to be dying Um, wow pardon me Whatever it is, though, that you've, you've got kind of that sense of expectation, and that's really what pretty much all of our got, all of our texts today are about. They're all about this sense of expectation and the expectation that people had in different eras. <coughs> really, I'm sorry. Different eras of what it meant to be the people of God. And so you start off with this reading from Isaiah. And this reading from Isaiah is all about Jerusalem. And what God is saying about Jerusalem. And he's saying the expectations that they should have are that they are called no longer desolate but beloved. That they are like the bride of God. And God is renewing that expectation in them, because that expectation has been lost because of historical things that have been happening around this time. And God is saying, renew that expectation, renew that expectation that you are my beloved. Renew that expectation of what it means to be a bride. And we have all sorts of cultural examples in our day today of the expectations that we have of what it means to be a bride or what it means to be a husband. That when we go into those relationships that we have these kind of expectations and and we go, okay, this is what I expect my marriage to be like. This is what I expect my husbanding to be like. This is what I expect my wifing to be like. And if those expectations are not met, we start to get a little bit concerned. And as we start to get a little bit concerned, we start to try to figure out, okay, why are these expectations not being met? And then we start to, uh, if they still aren't met, we, we do all sorts of different other things. And so there's kind of this sense of expectation that is there in that Isaiah reading. There's also a sense of expectation in the psalm. In the psalm, if you're kind of reading along, there's this unwritten expectation that when the psalmist gets married, when, when the people that are singing this song on their way to Jerusalem, because this is one of the songs of ascents, they're, they're singing this song, and they're like, hey, if God loves us, then what's going to happen is we are going to get married, and we're going to have kids, and we're going to have a lot of kids, and it's going to be good. Because, well, back then, kids meant the growth of your corporation, essentially. I mean, kids weren't just kind of these cute kids that you had around with you. They, they were legitimately raising the value of who you were as a family. So the more kids that you had, the more valuable you were as a family. And so there was this sort of expectation of, well, if I get married, that that's actually going to lead to my greatness. And maybe we don't have that same sense Around kids, but we definitely have that same sense around our lives as we mature, which is essentially what's happening in the psalm. We have this sense of, okay, when I grow up, I'm going to do this. I'm going to have this. I'm going to drive this. I'm going to wear this. I'm going to live here. I'm going to have all of these things. And that's an expectation of maturity. But we also know that sometimes that doesn't happen as well, Sometimes we grow up and we're not wearing what we want to wear. Sometimes we're not driving what we want to drive. Sometimes we don't feel like we've actually become adults. Because we feel like, oh, well those things didn't happen. And sometimes we, we say that kind of pridefully. We, we say, well, I don't want to be an adult. But sometimes there's a real hurt around that. I, I, I'm not an adult. And I, I sort of feel like I should be. So you've got those things going on. And then you have kind of this weird thing happening with the people that Paul is writing, writing to, these Corinthians, these Corinthians that are really, honestly, you do not want to be a Corinthian. I remember growing up in St. Louis, there was a, 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 a Baptist church that apparently never read the Bible. Because... <laughs> They call themselves the First Corinthian Baptist Church. They were right by the highway. I drove by them all the time. And I was like, if you read the book, you would change your name. Because the Corinthians just are really bad at being Christians. They're new Christians. They don't know what to expect. And that's why Paul writes First Corinthians chapter 12. He he writes this and, and he says, okay, this is what it looks like to be a Christian. And what he's doing is he's doing kind of this comparison contrast with their lives when they were worshiping what he calls dumb and mute idols. And he says, look, you, you expected certain things out of your worship of these idols that you were going to worship. This is what you should expect out of your worship of the true God. And he says, some of you are going to be given wise things to say. Some of you are going to be given knowledge. Some of you are going to be given faith. Some of you are going to be given the ability to pray to God and for people to be healed. Some of you are going to be able to do all sorts of things that are even greater seeming than all of this. But he's doing that because there's an expectation that they need to be aware of, okay? This is the expectation of what it's like to be a Christian. This is what you should expect out of Christian worship. You should not expect Christian worship to be something where you go and you get a temple prostitute and you worship that way, because that was something very common for the people of Corinth. And so you can understand why they were kind of messed up about their expectations when they're showing up to church, And they're dressed up like they're ready to go to the club. (laughs) And so there's an expectation there. And then we get to the gospel reading. And there's lots of expectations here, right? So first of all, there's this expectation that there should be wine at the wedding. There's this expectation that, okay, there's going to be wine at the wedding. And they run out. And that's a big deal, because if you run out of wine at your wedding, basically the party is over. Trust me, I did catering while I was at the seminary. When the liquor runs out, the party is over. During my time catering, I did one or two events that had no alcohol. It started off, the party was over. It was just one of those things, it was like, okay, um, and that was the expectation here, that there was going to be wine, because that was one of the expectations. I think if we showed up to a wedding reception and that wasn't a part of the expectation, we would be cool with it. If we showed up to a wedding reception and we expected it to be like a second grader's birthday party, then we would not probably, hopefully, expect there to be tons of booze there. But there's an expectation going on there, and that's the expectation that's being dealt with in the gospel reading. And then all of a sudden, everything is out, and there's a problem, and you have uh, some expectations here. Mary expects her son to fix this, to do, do what she tells him, exactly. And Jesus responds, and pretty much all of the mothers and anybody who had a mother in here, when Jesus responds, we go, uh-uh. Because <laughs> Jesus says, woman, what does this have to do with me? It's not my time yet. And you're like, oh, oh Jesus, no. <laughs> you're going to be dragged and back. She's going to have her sandal in her hand. <laughs> because that's our expectation, Right. <laughs> But Mary's much more cool about it, and she just turns to the servants, and she says, "Do whatever she tells you," which tells you something about her expectations, despite what he says, because she knows that she can trust him. She knows, okay, I, I put it in his ear that's that's good enough. And so then Jesus goes and he turn, turns the water into, the, into wine, which, I mean, that's just blowing all expectations. But then they bring the wine to the master of the feast, the sommelier of the party. And, you know, he, he is one of those guys, you know, he's the guy who can tell the difference between 15 different kinds of IPAs. And, and he takes a sip and he's like, oh, this is good stuff. Which is weird, because usually around this time of the party, they are serving the stuff from the rail of the bar, they're pulling the handle on the natty light, and they're giving you wine from a box. (laughs) And he's like, oh, this is good stuff. Which is strange, because usually we, we serve the good stuff first. And then, we serve the bad. Which again is an expectation. And so, as we go through all of those things, all of those expectations that we see happening in Scripture, a big part of the question is, what are our expectations and what are God's expectations? And unfortunately, I think a lot of us well, we, we know what God's expectations are, and we know how well we're fulfilling those expectations. We, we're failing. God gave us this list of just ten things, and he said, hey, here's, here's some expectations for you. I, I expect you to put no other gods before me. I expect you not to use my name in vain expect you not to say things about me that I wouldn't say about me is essentially what using name in vain means. I expect you to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. I expect you to carve out some time for me. I expect you to honor your parents and the authorities that are before you. I expect you not to kill i expect you not to harm people i expect you not to lust after people especially people that are not your spouse i expect you not to talk bad about people i expect you not to covet i expect these 10 things and as we go through that list of 10 things we go yeah just 10 expectations for my entire life and i i fail I don't live up to the expectation, and that gets us a little bit afraid because we know what it's like in this life to not live up to an expectation. It means that we get judged. It means that possibly there are consequences, but possibly there's just some you know, some mean mugs from the other side of the room. You know, If you do serve booze at your second grader's birthday party, there are going to be some mean mugs from the other side of the room, and we don't like that. And we're afraid. This all causes fear in us. That's a big part of the negative aspect of what we see in all of these readings today is this sense of fear. The the couple and their family are afraid of what it means if the wine runs out at their party. The people of Jerusalem are afraid of what it means if they are to be termed the desolate people of the area. The people who are singing the songs on the way to Jerusalem, are afraid of what it means if they don't have a big family. And the people of Corinth, even, are afraid of what it will mean if they don't get this Christian thing right. And we can be afraid of that. We can be afraid of letting God down. We can be afraid of giving God a bad name by our actions and not living up to this sort of idea of what it means to be a Christian. We can be afraid of giving a bad witness. We can be afraid of somebody saying, I'm not going to be a Christian. If that's what being a Christian looks like, we can get afraid of all sorts of stuff. And that's where the gospel steps in and that's where Jesus steps in and he messes with our expectations. And he says, here, I am going to give you an existence that has different expectations. He says, I am going to give you an existence where I expect you to fail. What a beautiful expectation that is. And maybe at first it doesn't feel like it, but it really is. For God to say, well, I, I expect you to fail. Maybe you've been in a situation where somebody has said that about you, where you've tried to do something, and you have fallen flat on your face, and you've told the person, hey, I fell flat on my face, and the person said, I expected you to fail. At, at first, that can be like, oh. But then, as you start to think about it, you, go, you, you expected me to fail, and you still let me do it? Sometimes we can get kind of angry about that. But there's something else going on there. If if God expects you to fail and he's still giving you the keys to the family car, there's something beautiful and loving, and trusting about that moment. And that beautiful, loving, trusting moment is what we get every Sunday when I say, your sins are forgiven in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And I don't say this during that time, but I probably should. I should probably add something to the end of that that says, and by the way, we'll do this again next week. Because you know that. You know that the expectation is that you will fail. But you also know that the expectation that you can have is that you will still be given the keys to the family car. The expectation that you can have is that God, in his infinite wisdom that sometimes looks like foolishness to us, still continues to trust you with his church, still continues to trust you with his spirit, still continues to trust you with his mission. And he knows that every time that you fail and that you're forgiven, that what is happening in that action of your failure and his forgiveness is that there's a further alignment of his mission and yours that every time you fail and you come to him and you say, I'm sorry, God, I failed, and he says, I forgive you, that you know better what he's driving you to. Because that's the way that it works with our failure. When we fail, we know better afterwards. When we fail, we know that there's something to learn. When we fail, we know that there's some greater thing that is out there. And for us as Christians, every time we sin, we know that there is something greater out there, and that something greater is forgiving you. Over and over and over again, until you experience the ultimate greater thing, which is a resurrection where you will no longer somehow be failing. Where... All of a sudden, the expectation in the resurrection is that you won't fail, that you will have this beautiful experience of life that will be like the best wine being served first, being served last that you will have this sense of looking back over your life today and as much as you may love your life today, you will look back at this moment and go, that was like drinking Natty Light. That was like doing shots of fireball. By the way, those things are bad. (laughs) You will look back and even the greatest moment of your life today will seem so insignificant, so pale in comparison. And so we live today, this week, with an expectation of failure. We live today and this week with an expectation of forgiveness. We live today and this week with an expectation of being able to understand God's mission better for the fact that we have failed and we have forgiven. But even more than that, we live today and this week with the expectation of a resurrection in which all sin is finally washed away. All our failure finally stops And the best wine is poured. Amen.